0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week It's time time time
1: for for Taiwan This Week Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week With me your host Gavin Phipps And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Michael Fahey Great to be here, Gavin, in the heart of lovely Xinjiang. And Sean Su. Uh, it's always great to be back. Tonight we'll be discussing Global Views Monthly, releasing its latest local leadership poll. Shopee and elite being fined by the Ministry of Digital Affairs for data leaks amid growing public and government concerns about data breaches. Lawmakers passing a slew of laws as the latest legislative session wrapped up. And the closure of McDonald's branches yet again sparking big crowds singing a final happy goodbye meal and shedding some tea. Years. But we'll begin with some of this week's January 2024 election related news. And KMT Chairman Eric Ju on Wednesday soundly dismissed speculation that the party could move to replace Ho Yeo i as its candidate for said election. Now, the statement came after a My Formosa poll was published concerning said ballot, and that survey found that Ho is running in third place with a support rating of 18.3%. That's behind Taiwan People's Party candidate Kerwin Zhe with a 25.9% support. Rating And the DPP's Lai Ching who, according to the poll, is enjoying a 35.8% support rating. Now, Ho's rating had dropped from 26% in a previous survey. And according to the party chairman, the rumour of plans to replace Ho is groundless and are being disseminated by Green supporters with the sole aim of sowing disunity within the KMT. Now, earlier this week, KMT spokesman Lin Xing told reporters that Ho's popularity likely will improve following his recent comments about any energy and the death penalty. Those comments involved Ho's voicing his support for nuclear power and capital punishment. Now the other character that had been seeking the KMT's 2024 nomination, that being one Terry Guo, was busy this week visiting Jingmen. As coincidentally with the DPP's Lai Ching De and the TPP's Ke Wenzhe. They were all there to attend the Jung Festival, which is the largest religious event on the outlying island. Now Guo managed to get camera time after meeting both Lai and Kerr. He met with Lai outside a temple. They shook hands as the press gawked on and took photographs and Guo handed lie an envelope, a brown envelope in fact which contained what he said was a proposal for a Jingmen peace declaration and he said that Jingmen should be treated as a bridge between Taiwan and China. He later explained that he's hoping to resume peace talks with Beijing and representatives from the Republic of China will invite both sides to hold peace talks well, on Jingmen. Now Guo also happened to bump into Kerr at a temple and prior to that well, Vice President and DPP Presidential candidate told political science students at the National Taiwan University in Taipei that China's Xi Jinping is the head of state he'd most like to break bread with. So, Michael, where to begin with this? Where should we begin? Let's begin with the KMT polling. Not too good for yo e but Eric Ju saying, no, we're not going to replace him.
0: Well, it's hard to know where to start. We still have seven and a half months to go in this election, which is shaping up to be the most interesting presidential election in Taiwan since 2000. By the time January rolls around, we will probably have all forgotten about everything that's happening now, but there is a lot happening right now. The poll that uh, triggered uh, Eric Ju's comments about not uh, switching out hoyo like was done for the 2016 KMT candidate Hong xiu uh, came from my Formosa, which is actually founded by some DPP apostates, uh, Xu Xinliang and uh, Guo Liang, who just resigned from the party. Uh, they're probably trying to uh, stir something up in the election rather than accurately reflect what's actually going on. We talk about lawfare to uh, influence politics. Taiwan has a lot of poll fare, I would say. Uh, and this is probably a good example. Um, I don't think the KMT is going to switch out Ho yo said that their internal polling shows that Ho is stable. And uh, I think they probably learned from their mistake in 2016. But the fact that Eric Jew felt that he had to come out and say something about this uh, does say that the uh, discussion or speculation over a change in Ho does have them somewhat concerned.
2: Oh yeah and it's uh, been a talk that's been happening for quite some time especially since um, some of the deep blues in the past were accusing Ho of being perhaps the next Li Denghui and you know other speculation like that personally I actually feel rumors like that and and words like that actually make Ho more appealing to a wider audience since Li Denghui is widely popular in Taiwan uh, however uh, I do need to say that yes these polls will change rapidly where it's by taiwan standards it's extremely early days uh all sorts of things can happen Um, interestingly uh ju himself replaced hung in 26 uh, 2015 which was a major mistake for the kmt so i think ju himself noting from his own uh loss uh realizes that this would be a huge mistake plus uh it, for just internal and external polling among KMT candidates, uh, Ho is by far the most popular one that they have, and that leaves to a Jew the best chance to uh, you know keep his chairmanship because of course you know whoever candidate he chooses loses, uh, then you know most likely under Taiwan traditions he probably will have to step down. So it's probably best that he you know goes by their best horse, uh, and I feel that you know. If they had followed through something like this, I agree with you. It would make the KMT look indecisive, incoherent. Um, it would cause a lot of trouble. Uh, that said, uh, Ho seems to have had several gaffes uh, in recent weeks. Uh, for example, when he had uh, uh, insulted Tainan run by accident, I suppose, uh, among you know little other, you know, or, or when questioned uh, 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 what his actual policies are to affect the changes that he has you know sometimes he's still rather vague about that and the vagueness is a strategy you know because if you go into very clear details then you give the opposite, the opposing uh parties the chance to come up with uh, more concrete responses or they'll gish gallop their way or what have you um you know uh your policy positions. That said, um, I do think that Ho's positions right now, for example, on capital punishment, uh, among other things, uh, will appeal over time less and less towards uh, some of the youth. And there's another problem that I see uh, coming forward, which is the KMT has a perennial question of how they feel about the 92 consensus and what Ho feels about that. Because, you know, in Taiwan, when we choose presidential candidates, a lot of it is about foreign policy ho has not been very clear on that front and then you have terry go uh, Guo, uh, terry go here coming out with his uh, uh, uh sort of uh, uh that that mixed thing where he's like giving out like peace right. agreements he's gonna force the kmt to make a, a hardline position on it and traditionally kmt positions on uh, r- r- vis-a-vis china regarding china has not necessarily been very popular among the electorate, especially things like the 92 consensus. So if he has to double down to keep uh, the support of his party, we might see things change in the future.
1: So Michael, I mean, Terry Gwo popping up on Jingmin and bumping into both kerwin and Lai ching
0: Well, Gavin, I think that Terry Gwo enjoys the spotlight and the attention Uh, He popped up in the U.S. uh, after Trump got elected looking for attention and got a lot of it. Uh, And he's uh, not quite ready to give up the stage, uh, I think the best person to read on uh, what Terry Guo's actual strategy is, is an Australian-Taiwanese political scientist named Wendy Song, uh, or Song Wendi, uh, who's who who makes some pretty sophisticated arguments that uh, Guo is actually just trying to maneuver for more political influence in the future. The trip to Jinmin did produce some pretty iconic photos of uh, Guo and Ko holding hands, but I think even more remarkably... Uh, was the picture of them sitting together at night, looking at together, looking at the shaman skyline from Jinmen?
2: Uh, Yeah, I felt it was a really romantic, you know, uh, it's I wonder how far that relationship will go next it feels like. Um, but also, him handing an envelope, standing really close to Lai Qingda, like, uh, also in Jinmen, very, very close, and then handing him a letter, with the hands shaking very close uh, in, a, in a crowd. That kind of optics is really going to, again, force the KMT's hand, because uh, you know, Tarigo, again, really loves that spotlight. He's no different from, I think, Musk. Always willing to say something, even Controversial, just to to get on the uh, uh, get on the news headlines, and uh, especially with uh, Koanza recently, who has taken some flack talking about that bridge from jinmen to china <laughs> which uh oh boy uh that kind of explanation of like oh well we can we can blow it up if if china wants to invade through that bridge uh, you know it's just uh, terry doesn't think hey you know maybe i shouldn't be so close to that that's gonna look bad no i'm just gonna hold hands with that man <laughs> uh i i i feel like terry really believes no negative publicity is actually negative
1: And, Michael, do you think think maybe these parties could, in the very near future, get a bit irked with Mr. Terry Gore popping up at their events? And maybe possibly trying to embarrass their candidates?
0: I think it was actually... Probably positive publicity for both of the candidates who were there. Koenja also loves any possible publicity, and his poll numbers have been rising, so he certainly uh, enjoys the attention. I don't think he's bothered by it at all. Lai Chingda has been a bit more low-profile. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily a bad thing to uh, look like he's open to suggestions from one of Taiwan's leading business leaders. Uh, so for now, I think they're OK with it. If he continues popping up, things might change. But, Gavin, I think the thing that was actually in some ways more interesting was who wasn't there, which was ho <laughs> He was busy. It turns out, according to the temple chairman, they were visiting the 342 year old uh, Cheng city god temple in Jinmen. Apparently, the uh, chairman of the temple committee didn't invite Ho.
2: It's also notable to, to point out that uh, Terry Guo used to be a K, part of the KMT. Uh, he's since not been part of it, but he's also voiced his previous displeasure. So it's another way for him to build leverage uh, for concessions from the KMT in the future.
1: Now, do you think he's looking for a political job?
2: Oh, he does not need to look for a political job. He has enough money to start doling out those jobs. So potentially, we may see all sorts of funny shenanigans or interesting shenanigans from Terry Go. And I wonder, does he, you know, does he crash these parties? Will he crash a party and embarrass these people necessarily? Uh, I think he might say one thing, but looking at his past history, like, uh, for instance, the whole COVID situation, him saying that the government wasn't doing enough. In the end, he accepted working with the Thai administration in order to try to negotiate for these vaccines. So in the end, he kind of is a push and shove and sort of pull kind of guy.
0: I think it's pretty unlikely that Terry is going to agree to be vice president or premier, the only job that would really suit uh, his aspirations, I think, is president. So he's going to just be happy to stay on stage as long as possible, I think.
1: Or oh, possibly be a thorn in somebody's side. Anyway, moving on now, and Global Views Monthly released its latest local leadership poll this week. And poor young Taipei Mayor Jung Wen and didn't fare so well as he came bottom of the list with a popularity rating of 46.3%. Jilung Mayor Xie yang placed second from bottom with a popularity rating of 47.1% while Xinzu City Mayor Anne Gao was third from bottom after getting a popularity rating of 49.3%. At the other end of the list, Jaii County Commissioner Wang Zhengliang topped the charts, enjoying a popularity rating of 81%, and he was also the only local leader with a disapproval rating of less than 10%. Funnily enough, Jai City Mayor Huang Minhui placed second with a rating of 77.8%, while Liancheng County Magistrate Wang Zhongming was third with a popularity rating of 76%. So, Michael, obviously something must be happening in Jai. Is there something in the water that makes these county and city magistrates and heads of counties and cities so good? What I think
0: you're seeing in these approval ratings is that uh, the voters and residents of the most urbanized and educated areas in Taiwan, like Taipei and Shinju are highly critical of their leaders. In contrast, more rural areas like Jai and Taidong uh, tend to uh, have higher approval ratings for their county commissioners and mayors and so on. That said, uh, it's true that there's been quite a bit of uh, new infrastructure development in Jai over recent years, and things are definitely seem to be generally improving uh, down there. so, uh, I don't think it's totally surprising, but I think it has a lot to do with the different kinds of relationships that people have between uh, with their governments in places like Jiayi as compared to places like Taipei.
2: Oh, yeah, indeed. Uh, people in more rural uh, counties and districts definitely have a lot more of a relationship. Uh, Hualien is particularly uh, famous or infamous because um, people have been known to personally asked for favors directly, and then actually seen them effectualized, uh, which is not something you can easily do in, say, Taipei, uh, because the population and the density is just that dramatically different.
0: And, and you'll notice that in Jiayi, the mayor of Jiayi City is KMT, and the commissioner or the magistrate of Jiayi County is, is DPP. They're both incredibly popular at the top of the list, so it doesn't seem to really matter which party the politician is from.
1: But what's happening in Taipei then, Michael? What's happening to poor young Jiang Wan-an?
0: I think Taipei residents have extremely high standards and expectations, and so far Jiang Wen an uh, has not done a tremendous amount, and they're quickly disappointed unless I see some kind of uh, really big plan moving, coming together. Quickly, which is probably unrealistic. It, it is unrealistic, but Taipei residents demand immediate change.
2: Which I find most uh, interesting is similar polls for uh, Ke Wanza around his time. Uh, Jiang actually, even though I feel he's like the biggest loser out of this poll, uh, actually managed to do a bit better than Ko did when Ko took over. So Ko was like the fresh blood, right? The independent when he came in. Uh, after all, Taipei has practically always been run mo- for the most part other than Chen Shui-bian, has been most, mostly run by the KMT. But then, you know, uh, he promised lots of change, and then people didn't see it immediately overnight, and they complain. And that's, that's something we do in Taipei, which is we will complain a lot immediately if we don't see something change right now that's different from what the previous
0: mayor has done.
1: And talking about the Taipei People's Party, Michael, uh, Shinzu City Mayor and Gao...
0: I think it's the same situation. Shinju City, the Shinju area is the wealthiest area of Taiwan, uh, the most highly educated, even more so than Taipei. And people there have extremely high expectations again. Uh, I'm not sure that she's done a tremendously bad job, uh, but uh, I think people are expecting immediate uh, results. It's quite interesting, you know, from the Taipei, as a Taipei resident's perspective, that Ko Wanzhou is doing so well all across Taiwan, because uh, for Taipei residents, I think most of us had a lot of expectations. Ko seemed like a breath of fresh air when he was first elected mayor. And then he wasn't a bad mayor, but not really all that much happened. I think people were pretty disappointed uh, in the end. And the Ang Gaos and the Jiangwanans face faced a similar situation in their constituencies.
2: I've got a pet theory, which is that actually... In most of these bigger cities like Taipei and Shenzhou, because many of Shenzhou in particular, because a lot of our engineering firms, you know, are located primarily around that area, you have a lot of people who travel a lot. So they do get to see cities, um, how they're run in other countries very off. Absolutely. Yeah. And that especially, you know, with TSMC expanding in Arizona and so forth. So a lot of these engineers are already flying through back and forth. And then when they see something better in another city, you know, they will then have a higher complaint. Whereas chances are if you're from, let's say, Hualien, your opportunity, uh, uh, you know, fiscally or what have you, economically speaking, of traveling abroad doesn't happen nearly as much. So you will have somewhat less to criticize. Also, the weather and Hualien's way better, you know. Um, So I feel like uh, these are also factors. The education, uh, the ability to travel more, to see more, then you'll have much higher standards
1: once you return home. And Sean, what about Jilong?
2: Jilong is uh, something rather complicated because I personally do not fully understand how Jilong residents think. But I do think that the development in Jilong has been positive, to me at least, because when I travel to Jilong, right, um, you know, they they recently built new underground parking uh, relatively recently. So it's much easier to park. Uh, Traffic in Jilong has always been terrible. But it seems like a lot of the residents are focused more on the traffic still being bad as if it was a new thing uh, versus, let's say, the new development like the malls and what have you, which has actually built much more parking, which now I can actually park my car there and actually walk around the city more, is, I think, a drastic positive change. So I'm not entirely sure uh, why there's a negativity there about that. Perhaps I feel like uh, my speculation is that perhaps uh, Jilong's development may not have necessarily followed along some of the the other cities, and perhaps that is why there's a lot of complaints from the local residents.
0: There's a really interesting book on Geelong by an American scholar named Evan Dolly called um, uh, Becoming Taiwanese. And In that book, he makes an argument that Geelong was actually one of the first cities that modernized in Taiwan because of the port, which the Japanese thought was very important. And it played a very prominent role historically in Taiwan. And, but for the last 40 or 50 years, it's kind of been a backwater. So I think that there may be some local factors at play in Geelong. You have a strong local identity, a sense of former importance as a port city, uh, and uh, perhaps dissatisfaction with the status of Jilong today.
1: And we'll take a short break now here on ICRT's Taiwan this weekend. We'll be back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week and the Ministry of Digital Affairs this week announced that it had fined Eslite, Spectrum and Shopee for failing to protect consumer data. Now the fines come after phishing scams involving both the companies and they also come as the government is seeking to better protect the public from data breaches. Now there have been several rather high profile breaches over the past year, one of which involved the National Health Insurance Administration and the other, which was a rather larger one involving the household registration system which saw the leak of 23 million pieces of data. So, Michael, data leaks, data breaches, and of course, Personal Data Protection Act, which they all come under. What does the government need to do? Fine them, or actually, they could create a new office. There's an idea.
0: Which they have. <laughs> they just passed. Uh, Taiwan just passed uh, pretty important amendments to the Personal Data Protection Act, uh, and the most significant of those is that, like most other countries. Uh, Taiwan is now finally going to have a data protection authority, which will be uh, a enforcement agency that will do all of the enforcement as opposed to the current situation where enforcement is dispersed between local and central government agencies like the Ministry of Digital Affairs. So we'll probably see a lot more enforcement in the future. The fines on Shopee and Esleet were notable because the one in Shopee in particular was the current maximum amount of the fine. Uh, we don't usually uh, see the maximum fine being imposed. Uh, in the future, uh, the fines could go up to as high as 15 million NT for really serious cases. So um, we're going to see more enforcement of uh uh, data breach and data protection issues in Taiwan in the relatively uh, near future. Historically, people in Taiwan have always thought that Taiwan has one of the toughest data protection acts in the world. That has always been far from the case, uh, and uh, we may see it getting uh, more aligned with what other countries are doing.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the the current fine is about what six thousand five hundred USD for Shopee. That's so. I mean, what is that like a fifteen? In our conversation, they've already made way more than that. You know, this is a drop in the bucket. Uh, even if you're going to find them half a million US dollars, that's still not enough for a company like Shopee. What we need to do is actually. Um, well, one of the bigger problems is if you're, let's, let's think of it as on a more base level, right? Let's say you're um, a manager of a, one of these uh, companies and you are to deliver, deliver a new feature, right? Um, what's more important, delivering that new feature on time or making sure it's fully secure, of course, you're going to tell your engineers to deliver on time for that new product launch to compete with the competitors. So because all these companies are so competitive on on the feature front, they don't really care so much about security, which is why we've had so many data breaches, not only in Taiwan, but high-profile data breaches all around the world. And I feel like this is a fundamental problem among just the attitudes of these companies. A good example is if you're riding around or parking anywhere in Taipei, you'll notice half the machines, the parking machines, still run Windows XP, a deprecated operating system that isn't even supported anymore. You know, I mean there might be one or two emergency security updates if you pay extra for it, but I guarantee you these parking companies are not paying for that. So what happens? Well, each of these, you know, garage, you know, uh, kiosk machines... That are running XP or Vista are potential vectors of attack, you know, in the future. And who knows if they shut down a hospital, people can die. If they if they shut down power, people can die, and all sorts of other problems uh, following along with it. So essentially. Um, It's a cultural change that we need to to enact. And this is not just Taiwan. It's a global issue. I get it, you know. But Taiwan more so because we have a neighbor that is very aggressive. And if we don't uh, batten down the hatches, uh, you know, It's going to be a problem. Now, on the bright side, uh, Taiwan has spent a lot of energy and effort, uh, especially our digital information minister, uh, Audrey Tang, has definitely spent a lot of time uh, at Taiwan cybersecurity uh, conferences, and they brought up some alerts. But at the end of the day, do I think Shopee will want to spend an extra couple million dollars to uh, enforce security when the fine even at 15 million NT, which is... Amounts to what? What, five hundred thousand U.S. dollars? Is 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 it gonna, is it gonna make them change their mind? No, they're not gonna do it. It's
0: right. it's it's more of a. Um, that's only for serious cases. Uh, most of them, the maximum fine will only be two million NT. But but I would say that <laughs> Taiwan's problems in this area are accentuated by, what should we say, the cost sensitivity of many Taiwanese businesses. Uh, digital security is simply a cost. You don't make any money for it. So the more you can save on it, uh, the more you can uh, help the bottom line. It's also important to note that there's something else called the Cybersecurity Management Act, which the government is planning to amend. And that's actually really more point on for actual security, which seems to be the main focus.
1: And moving on now, and the latest legislative session wrapped up this week, and lawmakers passed 172 bills during said session, the most, according to President Tsai in 20 years. Now, some of those bills were passed this past week, and while we don't have time to look at them all, we can look at a few of them. And we'll begin with passage of amendments to the Code of Criminal Procedure, which is aimed at addressing a backlog of legal cases. Now, it lists a bunch of things here, but basically what it is, it stops people going to the Supreme Court, for a third trial and it adds to the number of cases types of cases you cannot take to the Supreme Court and as Michael's here he's a lawyer he'll explain it far better than that
0: right so one of President Tsai's uh key campaign promises was judicial reform and making the judicial system more efficient is an important part of that judicial reform one of the things that they're trying to do is to create a situation more like you have in the US where the courts are like a pyramid. Most courts, most cases end at the first or the second level and only a few important cases get to the highest Supreme Court level. So what they've done is uh, part of a trend to say that certain kinds of minor cases where the facts are usually pretty clear Uh, including in this case, uh, criminal assault, uh, will only get one appeal. You can't go all the way to the Supreme Court and take five or six years to have your case finally resolved.
2: I believe that this is actually really important. The reason is because when you have a backlog of cases, that also hurts uh, other people from attaining justice too. And it makes uh, going through the court system to attain justice far less appealing. And this has sort of a ripple effect. Uh, I do feel that, uh, you know, because if you can't go through legal means and you do feel like your case needs to be resolved, then you might find extra legal means to solve it. So I'm just looking at it from... You know, an alternative point of view. I do feel that uh, making our court system more efficient and I I guess like more accessible to the public has been uh, one of, I would say, the better improvements of the Thai administration.
1: Now, amendments to the Immigration Act are also in focus this week as lawmakers passed revisions aimed at improving professional talent retention by easing residency restrictions for foreign nationals and their spouses and children. are the amendments extend permanent residency rights to the spouses, minor children, and adult children with disabilities of some foreign nationals. Now, those covered by the amendments are foreign nationals who are considered high level professionals, those who have won top professional awards, those who have made a significant contribution to Taiwan, and those who hold an investment visa under the new rules alien permanent residence certificates holders will only need to spend an average of 183 days per year over the last five years in taiwan to retain their permanent residency status instead of the current 183 days each year for five years so michael of course you were heavily involved in trying to change some of these things some years ago what do you think of these latest changes to the immigration laws
0: well, it's a bit difficult for me to form an opinion on them because I haven't been able to review them yet. Uh, the text of the act isn't, uh, as far as I know, available yet, or the final one. From the media reports, though, there's a few things we can say. Uh, it's true that uh, 62 amendments, 62 articles were apparently amended. So the scope of the amendments is very broad. Um my general observation is that the changes to the law are mainly things that the government or the immigration authorities were already doing. For example, it's already been the case that uh, um, divorced spouses with children can stay in Taiwan and get residence. It's already the case that senior or high-level foreign professionals, when they become permanent residents. Their children and their spouse becomes permanent residents. These measures, which have already been in effect, have just been put into the law. In addition, there is a whole bunch of more severe fines and sanctions for things like overstaying or working illegally in Taiwan. But the cumulative effect of all these changes probably will be a big change. the The the, the main one that I'm really noticing is that I believe that uh, that foreign residents will now need five years with an average of 183 days in taiwan each year uh rather than having to stay in taiwan for a full 183 days to get permanent residence after five years that uh, is something that gold card holders already enjoy and for ordinary foreign professionals should make it easier to become a permanent resident so that's a positive change
1: but sean do you think this would help the government to bring more people to taiwan to work (sighs) Yes and no.
2: Uh, I do believe that the government being more empathetic towards basic human nature is, you know, sorely necessary. You know, uh, people have tragedy in their lives, for example. And, you know, having your permanent residency plans getting ruined because you had to go back home for, you know, a couple more weeks out of the year uh, is, is unconscionable, I think, in most situations. Or, you know, because of a divorce, you know, as A mother, you'd have to leave Uh, uh, Taiwan, your home for some years. uh, You know, all of a sudden is also really you know unconscionable. So I do feel like these measures should have been there early on. Um, I do feel that Taiwan needs to. Taiwan often follows the models of other countries, and Taiwan desperately needs more foreign talent, especially if we're to maintain our stature as a tech powerhouse, we're going to need the best minds from all over the world. I'll make a very silly and simple analogy. Um, if for some reason, Einstein himself is a foreign talent to the United States. So if there was an Einstein that came out today and, you know, Town was like, yeah, sure, you could pick our country, but we have all these little blocks on the way. Meanwhile, Singapore says, hey, you can do all of your applications in English. It's going to be much easier for you and much faster and more straightforward. Who are you going to choose? And by the way, Singapore has a much higher salary. So Taiwan needs to work, still work very hard on attracting foreign talent. Not only do they need to smooth, smoothen the process, make exceptions and allow these foreign talent instead of hardline rules, allow these tal- uh, talents exceptions to make it easier for them to transition to Taiwan. We have to make sure that we are the best choice for them. Otherwise, sooner or later, these mines will go elsewhere and Taiwan's lead will drop.
0: I don't think there's actually anything in the latest amendments to the Immigration Act that I've heard of so far that will actually attract more foreign talent. Things like changes to the permanent residency rules to make it easier to get permanent residents may help retain some talent. One other thing that was notable that I heard about was that apparently now Foreigners facing deportation uh, or an interview for permanent residence at the immigration agency can now have a lawyer with them as opposed to in the past when they couldn't. Again, these are unconscionable things.
2: You know, you would think that you would be able to have a professional next to you to help you navigate these uh, potential problems that you have. But by not having, you know, proper representation, again, these are things that you would think would be logical. You know, in many other countries,
0: they are kind of surprising that they would need to enact a law to. Permit somebody to take a lawyer to one of these meetings. But it's it's there you it's, are. it's shocking, yeah.
1: And finally, this week, well, Taiwan said goodbye to not only former NBA star Dwight Howard, who jetted back to LA after playing in the T1 League for the Taoyuan Leopards. Taiwan also said to more McDonald's. Now, several hundred people chose to flock to the Fengjia Night Market's landmark Fengjia McDonald's to grab one final happy meal before it turned its lights out for good at 8 p.m. on Monday. Now, the Fengjia. McDonald's was opened in 1992, if you really wanted to know that. Now, the same day, big crowds also flocked to a McDonald's branch in Nantou County town of Tun, which was also closing after 25 years. And that branch was, in fact, the first branch of McDonald's ever in Nantou County. Now, of course, it's not the first time that closures of McDonald's branches here in Taiwan have sparked big crowds, as thousands of people turned out to bid farewell to the Miaoko Night Market branch of Injilung in May of last year. And tears have also been shed over the shuttering of other mcdonald's restaurants in new taipei and also in taijong in recent years so michael i mean uh, mcdonald's closes where i come from and you come from people don't really shed a tear and go out for one final big mac meal but here people people have some, some affinity to mcdonald's here
0: back in the 1980s the first mcdonald's opening in taiwan was a really big deal and Well into the 90s, uh, taking your kids to McDonald's was a pretty big, special, urban treat. And so the opening of McDonald's in places like Nanto in 1997 were pretty significant events. And people have grown up with McDonald's in in a business environment where not that many businesses last for 25 or 30 years. And since it was part of their childhood, it's a great opportunity to feel nostalgic. Uh, and I think that people in Taiwan enjoy being nostalgic a little bit more than perhaps people in some other countries at, at times. So I think there's a number of factors uh, at, at, at play uh, here. Of course, uh, the McDonald's in Sao Tun in Nanto is reopening a new branch with a drive through and i'm sure that they welcome the publicity for the opening of their new branch as well (laughs) i do feel that a lot of people in
2: taiwan love to spend hours at cafes especially places like mcdonald's which has their own little like cafe settings so there's definitely going to be a lot of memories especially among um you know people of all ages because taiwan has this culture where you just you know
0: sit at a restaurant for so long i've noticed Sean, you're absolutely right. And that was what was so significant about McDonald's back in the late 80s and early 90s. McDonald's was the only place with air conditioning and a relatively clean bathroom that you could go that they wouldn't drive you out after a half hour, an hour. You could spend all day there. That, it, was, it was revolutionary in Taiwan and it, part of its original appeal. So, saying that,
2: I don't think it is necessarily the meals at McDonald's, necessarily, when you have all these great restaurants in Taiwan to choose from. But, yeah, being able to just sit there the entire day to hang out with friends, you're going to have some nostalgia about that. So, I totally get why there might be a tear shed here and there for
1: that. And, Michael, do you think they're still as popular as they were in the past at McDonald's?
0: It's very different now. Uh it used to be that you would you would see parents taking their children to McDonald's and the parents or the grandchildren wouldn't eat anything and the kids would have something. Uh, but now generations of people who are 30 and even in 30s and even in their 40s grew up eating McDonald's. And so they eat McDonald's as well and their kids do. So it's become much less special than it once was and just part of the ordinary fabric of everyday Taiwanese life. I don't think that many Taiwanese people even see McDonald's as a foreign brand anymore.
1: And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Michael Fahey.
0: It was great being here, Gavin, and making another visit to lovely Xinjiang. And Sean Su uh, It's always fun to be back.
1: And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favorite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows.